0: Good morning. For those of you that weren't in here earlier when I said it, I'll just say it again. Uh, If I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is John, and I'm so glad that you're here with us today. Uh, I had a really interesting experience, and actually this is not an uncommon thing, and you've probably been through the same thing. But this week I was riding in the uh, truck with my daughter, Josie. And she loves music, and she loves singing, and she loves, uh, she's, she's going to be up here one day, by the way. Like, she could pick out harmonies. I'm really proud of that. Anyway, um, so we're, we're in the truck, and we're singing. And I found this station that on uh, Sirius XM that was, uh, like, 90s and 2000s rock music, which is, that's when I was in high school and college, and so that's, like, those are my jams. And so um, this song came on by a band called Eve Six. This song came on the radio. I was a big Eve 6 fan back, back in the day. This song came on the radio, and I swear I have not heard this song in a quarter century, okay? <laughs> I mean, it's been 20, it's probably been 20 years at least since I've heard this song. This song came on the radio, and I sang every single word. Anybody else? You ever have that happen? And you're like, this is my immediate thought. Why is this taking up space in my brain? <laughs> I can't remember the grocery list that Jess gives me when I go to Food Lion, but I remember every single word to this song, what is wrong with me? Well, it's not what's wrong with me, I, I, I don't think, unless, well, maybe it is with Eve 6, but uh, it's 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 how we work. It's actually something that's right with us. You know, we have this ability when we even regardless of our abilities or memories or intelligence or any, any of that kind of stuff, we have this, this innate ability that God has given to us to retain things in, the, in like the subconscious, in the deepest recesses of our mind, like this file drawer. I picture this big filing cabinet that like comes out and like just keeps coming out and keep, the drawer keeps coming out. And somewhere way, way back in the back are these lyrics to this Eve 6 song. But somehow it's here. It's stuck in there. And I, so I started thinking about it. I was like, why? Why can I do that when I can't remember the simplest things that I want to remember? And part of the, and I said, you know, you know, lots of things you can think about. But part of what really jumped in my mind was, first of all, repetition. I listened to that song over and over and over and over again. I listened to it so many times way back in the day that it just started to sink in, like, it impl- like it's implanted somewhere in my, my, the back of my mind. Not only did I listen to it over and over and over again, but I also sang it over and over and over again. And there's something powerful. There's something that happens in our mind when we repeat something with our mouth over and over and over again that helps it then sink in. It's almost like a muscle memory thing that happens with with our lips and our tongue and our vocal cords and all of that. And that just sort of comes out. And so as we've been going through, um, we just – we did – Almost a year-long series in Romans, which was talking all about the good news, the gospel, and, and, all, and applications of it and all this kind of stuff. And now we're in the book of Galatians, and Galatians is, again, about the gospel and what it is and what it's not and how to apply it in our life. And we've been talking about it over and over and over again. And this week, as I was thinking about it and looking at our passage for this week, I was like, I hope this doesn't get monotonous. But then I thought about the, the song And I thought, no, this is what God is doing. This is what Paul is doing. This is what God is doing, I think, with us. He is letting us hear and repeat and speak the gospel out loud over and over and over and over again so that it takes itself and implants itself in our mind, in our subconscious, so deeply rooted that it will be there forever. So that it naturally comes out of us. And so I want to encourage you as we're going through this series, as you're going to your groups during the week and talking it through with other people um, and reexamining the the scriptures. I want to encourage you to not only be hearing the gospel and letting it sink in more and more deeply into your heart and into your mind. I want to encourage you to be saying the gospel even on your own. In your private quiet time this week as you're reading, just Try to enunciate the gospel. Try to say it for yourself as if somebody were standing in front of you and you were trying to explain it to them. So then that helps you to process through the elements of it and how it all flows together and how it works. I want to encourage you to be doing the same thing that I'm doing, the same thing that I did with Eve 6 lyrics years and years and years ago. Let this thing sink in so deeply into us that it becomes part of us. And to know the very clear and simple gospel, the clear and simple truth, That you and I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and there is nothing that we can do of our own work or effort in order to be made right before God. Our works can't do it. There's no religious system. There's no law. There's no nothing that we can live up to to live up to God's standards. But God in his kindness and mercy sent Jesus to earth, and Jesus lived without sin, impossible for us. He lived up to the standard, and then he gave himself on the cross in our place. And he was put into a tomb, and he rose again on the third day. And I can be made right before God, not by my effort or my work, but by his. And so the grace of God is given to me through faith in Jesus Christ. And then not only is that how I'm justified before God, but it is also faith that sustains me that I walk with and I walk in. And that's what Paul is talking about here in the book of Galatians, where we're going to drop in in the beginning of chapter 3. Now, in chapter 2, we just covered this over the last couple weeks, uh, Paul had an issue with Peter because Peter had agreed to that gospel message in private. But then when Peter went and he was around other Jews, he was intimidated by them. He was a chameleon. He changed color and he changed shape and he became like them. And he was not only then following the Old Testament law again, which which he wasn't supposed to do, not out of legalism, he was also in telling Gentiles that they also had to follow the law. And Paul had to call Peter out and say, you can't do that. It's wrong. And so he goes through this whole thing and this whole sort of dissertation on that, which we finished last week. And, and once he's done with Peter and he's, he's explaining the story to the Galatians. Okay? He's saying, this is what happened with Peter. Now in chapter 3, he's going to say, so here, now I have some questions for you, for the Galatians, the Christians who are in Galatia who have been tricked also into going back under the law. All right. So the last thing that Paul said in chapter 2 was, I do not set aside the grace of God, which is what he accused Peter and the other Jews and Barnabas of doing. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Right? Christ didn't need to die if you could follow the law good enough in order to be righteous before God. That's where he finished. Now let's pick up in chapter 3. What does this mean for them? He's, he has some questions for them. All right. Uh, Four questions, in fact. He says, starts with, oh, foolish Galatians. And if that sounds harsh, it is. (laughs) Essentially, essentially, he's saying, what is wrong with you? How dumb can you be? What were you thinking? You know this can't be the case, and he's going to prove it to him. All right. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? I can't help but think about the 60s show, like try to twinkle. You know, she does a little thing with her nose. Anyway, okay, I can't do it. I'm not that cute. Um, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth that, or to believe the truth? It doesn't mean to do in that sense. It means to obey or believe the truth. Who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus was clearly portrayed to you as crucified? So again, he pulls no punches. And the idea is, how dense can you, can't you see that it can't be by works? Not, not salvation and not the life that you're living now. It's not, it can't be by works of the law. Can't you see that? He said, uh, who's bewitched you? Which is, that's, that's pretty dramatic language. It, liter- it means to be, it means to be tricked by wicked arts. That's what it means. So he's basically like, who cast a spell on you? Whose spell are you under that that you've gone out of your mind to believe this ridiculous thing? That even though you were saved by faith in Jesus Christ and you can't be justified by your works, that now that you've been saved, now your works are going to keep you justified? What are you thinking? It couldn't possibly be that. He said, you know that Jesus was crucified. How could you reject that? He said, uh, before your eyes, before whose eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. Now, they didn't see him. It doesn't mean that they saw him be crucified. They weren't there. They didn't see him. But he's saying, we explained this to you, and you clearly believed that Jesus was crucified. The word he uses, is grapha which means to paint a word picture. We have, we have demonstrated to you that Jesus was crucified. So knowing that, how could you go back to works of the law? Because if you go back to the works of the law, then that crucifixion wasn't necessary if your, if your works can save you. If the law, the law couldn't save you to begin with, why do you think it can sustain you now? No. And he asked some more questions. Verse 2. This only I want to learn from you. Again, the tone. I know you can't always read tone, but there's tone here for sure from Paul. He's like, tell me this. <laughs> Explain this to me. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? Or by the hearing of faith? Which was it? How did you receive the Spirit? Did you receive the Spirit because you were good enough to receive Him? Because you kept the rules? Because you kept the Sabbath? Because you tithed? Because you observed the feasts and the festivals? Is that why you received the Spirit? No. Was it by works of the law? Or was it by the hearing of faith? The hearing of faith is a little bit of a weird thing a weird word. It's hard to translate that into English from what he said, because he literally said, ear faith, which is strange. <laughs> he says, was it, was it by works of the law, or was it by ear faith? Which is, again, very, it's a bizarre thing. But th- this is the picture that I get when he's saying this, ear faith, or hearing faith. Like, hearing something is the least you can do. <laughs> like, you do it without even trying to do it. It takes no effort to eavesdrop does it? You're sitting, a, you're sitting in a restaurant, you're sitting at a coffee shop, people are sitting next to you. You can't help it here. So there's no effort re- required by that. And what he's saying is you have heard the gospel message. You've heard it and you've received it. So when he says hearing of faith, that's what he means, hearing and receiving the gospel message. So how did you receive the Spirit? Did you receive the Spirit because you kept the law and you were good enough, or did you receive the Spirit because you heard the gospel message and responded to it? Which one was it? Well, B. Yeah, yeah. B. Because obviously, all these questions are going to answer themselves, by the way. That is the point of them. All right, they are rhetorical questions by definition. All right, you didn't do anything to receive the Spirit, you just accepted Him. So, why would you think that works and effort are what are going to sustain you and carry you now? All right, okay, verse three. Are you so foolish? It's like, relax, Paul. We, <laughs> we get it. <laughs> you think we're foolish. Like, it, are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? This is, the, this is the, 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 the initiation, right? This is the start and then the continuation. He said, having been initiated by the Spirit, or started by the Spirit, are you now continuing by the flesh? Rhetorical question. Of course not. He said, essentially, how dumb can you be? (laughs) This is a little insulting, but he obviously needs, I think that the Galatians, based on what we know about them historically, we've talked about that at the beginning of the series, I think these are people with thick skins that can handle this kind of thing. And so he says, how dumb can you be? And let me tell you something, for you and for me, all right, let me just make a statement for us. We are not going to be dumb about this, are we? We're not going to be so foolish as to think that God saved us by his grace. But then it is going to be keeping a set of laws and rules and regulations that are going to sustain us and make us like Christ. We're not going to, we're not going to do that. That's foolish. God has something so much better and so much higher planned for us. We're not going to do that. We didn't get saved by works, and our works are not going to complete us. That's, that's the word, to being made perfect or being completed. The Spirit started you out. Why do you think works are going to carry you through? Um, can you sense Paul's frustration with this idea? He said it's so silly. It's so silly to think that. And why are they buying it? Why are they buying it? Then he says in verse 4, Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? What was the point? If, if you started in the Spirit and you're now going to be finished by the flesh, what would the point of all that, what would the point of the Spirit be? If you, if, you could, if you could live up to the standard now or then, if you could live up to the standard, then why would we need, wouldn't all this be in vain? Wouldn't Christ's death be in vain? That's what he said at the end of chapter 2. And there's one thing that I think is, is uh, kind of important here, and this is more for the nerds in the room and for accuracy. The New King James translates um, this word um, suffered, but I'm not sure that's the best actual translation of that word. Other, other translations translate this word experienced. Um, and here's the reason. Again, this is just, this doesn't change a whole lot, but for the nerds in the room. Um, the word that he used here is a very generic word in Greek. It means to be affected by something or to experience something. And it's the context that tells you what that whether that is positive or negative. If you look across all of Greek literature, this word is used all over the place. And sometimes it's in a positive context, meaning I experience something good. And sometimes it's in a negative context, I experience something bad, like suffering. Every single place in the New Testament that this word is used, and it's a bunch. Every single place this word is used in the New Testament. It is in the context of persecution. It's in the context of tribulation and trial. And so the word is translated every single time suffering with the exception of this one place. This is the only place in the New Testament that I can find where the context around this word is good. He's talking about receiving the spirit. He's talking about being made perfect. He's talking about in the next verse about miracles and things that God has done. And so I think that in the context of this passage, this word should be translated positively so when he, says, when he says, have you experienced so many things? And he's talking about all the good things they've experienced in the spirit. Was that all a waste? Was that all, was that all pointless? Because you were supposed to be following the law and walking in the flesh? No, of course not, right? Of course not. Look at all this awesome stuff. Was it worthless? Was it empty? Was it hollow because it wasn't done in the law? No, of course not. If justification or sanctification come by the law, then Jesus didn't need to die, and all of these incredible experiences you've had in the Spirit would be worthless. Is that true? No, of course not. And then he has one last question to sort of summarize the rest in verse 5. Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith. All this that God is doing, is he's doing this because you're keeping the rules? Or is it because you have heard the gospel and have received the gospel and are walking in that grace? Which is it? None of those good things come by your adherence to the law. All of those things come when we recognize the relationship that we have with God and we walk in the Spirit and we walk in grace. One of the things you're going to do in your groups this week, it's it's actually the first thing if you're in a group you're going to do, is you're going to spend some time talking about the experiences you've had where you have felt closest to God, most connected to God, and sharing some of those experiences with other people in your group. And then, spoiler alert, you're going to answer the question, when you're all done, you're going to answer the question, that moment that I had, that experience that I had, was that because I was following the law and keeping a set of rules? Or was that because I was standing in the grace of God? Was it, was it the law that brought that or was it the spirit that brought that? So start thinking through that as you're getting ready for your, your group this week. The law, the set of rules that we see in the, in the Old Testament, or any set of rules that we could come up with today, is not the determining factor in our eternal relationship with God. And it's also not the determining factor in our temporal relationship with God right now. It is the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ and walking in the spirit and the freedom that we have. Now, the hard part about that, and I hope that we have sufficiently driven that point home through our series in Romans, through what we've talked about already in Galatians, that all that is true. But the question then becomes, if that is true, what do we do? How do we live in that freedom? Because it's not as if God has said, it's not as if Jesus died on the cross, and God has said that if you, if you, if you accept Jesus by faith, then there is no such thing as sin in your life anymore. Or there's no such thing as hardship anymore in your life. And that, you know what, whatever you go and do, I don't care. No, because sin is still sin. And God is still the same. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So sin hasn't evaporated. It hasn't gone away. It hasn't lost power. Sin is still sin. God has, We're not talking about a change in God. We're talking about a change in us and how we relate to God and how we think about God in the relationship that we have with him. And even with, the, even with the Israelites in the Old Testament, they had the whole law and all these rules, and it was there to teach them about God and his desires, but it was also there to show them it was impossible for them to keep it. But even then, God wasn't looking for strict adherence to the law from them. He wanted, in that environment, through the law, he wanted their hearts to turn to him. And one of the major problems is that it didn't do that for many. What God wants for us to do in the freedom that we have, to know that that our salvation is secured by the work of Christ on the cross, and it is maintained by the work of Christ on the cross, not by my work in any way, shape, or form. What he wants from me is he wants me to turn my heart to him knowing the freedom that I have. What he wants for you is he wants you to turn your heart to him, to turn your heart away from the world, to turn your heart away from sinful desires, to turn your heart away from selfishness, to turn your heart away from the values that the world tells us we're supposed to have, and to turn your heart towards him. And in your freedom to pursue him with everything that you have. To say to the spirit, Spirit, change me, transform me from the inside out, make me like Jesus in every single way possible. And then what the Spirit does. Knowing that we have freedom and knowing that we're walking in him, what he does is he uses the law, he uses the prophets, he uses the letters, he uses God's word to show us what brings honor and glory to God and what doesn't. To show us what sin is and what it's not so that we can understand how to walk. And so we go to, and this is something else you're going to do in groups, and so be prepared for this this week, is to go back and pull out some of those Old Testament laws. So take the Sabbath, for example, to pull the Sabbath out and say, God made this a law. What does this teach? teach us about him? What does this teach us about his desire for our life? And how would the spirit want me to take that and put that in place in my life? What he's doing in us is so much deeper and so much better and so much more complete and so much freer than what he did under the law. But it is incumbent upon us, this is where our responsibility comes from, If we want to become like Christ, if we want to experience fellowship with God, then we have to turn our heart toward him and say, Spirit, transform me in every way. And when he says, this is a sin, this is something that your heart desires, that the world has told you to desire, whatever, and it is not what God wants for you. It's not how he wants you to live. It's not how he wants you to walk. It's not how he wants you to to act. It's not who he wants you to be. Then we have to submit ourselves to him in that. There, there are times and there are things in my life that I've walked through where I've looked and the Spirit has clearly showed me through the Scripture, this is a sin. But because of my conditioning in the world, because of how I have been conditioned to think about myself or other people, I've looked at that and said, I don't like that. I don't want that to be true. I want something else to be true because I think something else would be easier or whatever. And when that happens, I've had a choice to make on whether I was going to submit to what God told me was true or whether I was going to continue walking in what I thought was true, whether I was going to submit to his will or whether I was going to keep walking in my own will. And I'm split on that response, by the way, (laughs) the decisions that I've made. And I'll bet you are too. But our goal should be in the freedom that we have. Because we know that our salvation was secured by Jesus and it's held by Jesus. In the freedom that we have to, to, to choose, to turn our hearts toward God and say, Spirit, teach me. And I'm gonna be soft, I'm gonna be like clay in your hands. And when you tell me that this is something that I need to get that we not not I need to get a hold on, we need to get a hold on, and we need to change, I'm gonna do that. When you, when you tell me that this is a sin or this is what you don't want me to do. I'm not going to do that. When you tell me that this is what you want me to do, I am going to do that. Even if in some cases I disagree. Because I have chosen to turn my heart towards him and to submit myself to him. Not to myself and my own wisdom. The, The most significant verse in my entire life has been Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It's why it's on the end of all my email address and everything. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. I struggle with that so badly because I consider myself somewhat intelligent and I can reason things out and so I have a tendency to trust in myself. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. My path is a windy, crooked mess. I've learned that. And His path is straight. And so I'm learning more and more to trust him. And I pray that you are learning more and more to trust him, that you have turned your heart toward God and his will for your life, that you've submitted yourself to his will in your life. And that you've done that in the freedom that he's given you to do it. And how much more beautiful is that? What is love if the other person is forced to love us? But what is love when the other person chooses to love us? That's what he's looking for from us. But to do that in the freedom that we have. And there is a fundamental difference. We talked about this in our group um, this week. We talked about this a little bit. There's a fundamental difference between walking through life looking like Looking at God like he's a judge on a stand with a, with a law, a rule book that he's using to either punish or reward us. And looking at God as a father who's accepted us into his family and loves us unconditionally. And then doing everything that we can to please and honor the father. There's a, the difference between those two ways of living and relating with God could not be more different. And it's one of those things where, unfortunately, if you've lived your entire life looking at God like a judge on a stand and that's the way things have been communicated to you and that's the way that you've lived, it's hard for you, if that's been your whole life, to even understand what it's like to live in freedom. But then once you get your head wrapped around this and you get your heart wrapped around it and you understand the freedom that you have in grace and you realize what God wants out of you and you turn your heart towards him and start following him. There is there is like a there's a reason that the the, the law in Scripture gets called a yoke. Um, Peter, like you think of like a, an ox or something that has this big wooden yoke on its shoulders, holding it down, telling it where to go and and. Uh, Peter, when he was standing up at the Jerusalem council, he, he looked at, at, at all of them and he said, He said, Why would he? He's talking about don't put the law on the Gentiles. He said, Why would you put a yoke on their shoulders that neither you nor your fathers were able to bear? It's this weight that sits on your shoulder of fear and direction. And Jesus said, Jesus said, Take my yoke upon you. My yoke upon you. It is light. And easy to bear. And interesting, we talked about this. You may have talked about it in your group because it, it was in the guide. But the next thing that happens after Jesus says, he said, he said you'll find rest for your souls. And the next thing in, in, the, in the gospel that's recorded is that he's walking through grain fields and his disciples are picking heads of grain on the Sabbath. They're breaking the law. And the Pharisees come to him and say, why do you let your disciples do that? And Jesus said, oh, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. <laughs> It's not. It's not about keeping rules. It's not what God's looking for from you. I think about this with my kids. Any of them in here? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There you are. Hey, listen up. Uh, <laughs> we have in our house. Listen, in our house we have a lot of rules. You got to have rules. We have rules. We have expectations. We have chores. We have all this stuff. Let me tell you what I'm not looking for. You hear me, guys? And it's those of you that are their parents, you're going to understand this. You're going to, You're going to feel this. I'm not looking for you to keep the rules. That's not what I want. I'm not looking for you to just check off the list of your chores. What I want to see is that you love our family and that you want to contribute to the family. That you want to honor and that you want to serve each other. That's what, that's what we're looking for. That's what I want to see in my family. Not just, not just robots who check off all the right boxes and then look for loopholes and look for ways to get away with stuff. Character. Integrity. <laughs> <laughs> from, the, from the inside out. I don't know what they're doing, but it sounds fun. All right. From the inside out. This, this is what God wants to see in us. Willing. Love and obedience to his will, not out of obligation, but out of love and honor and glory. It's a total two totally different ways of living. And I have I have friends and I have family that I think have lived in legalism and the heavy yoke of rules and religion. And I'm standing here in freedom. Looking at them just going, come on, come on. But I can't, I can't make them understand what that's like. I can't describe it well enough for them to understand what it's like. It's like trying to describe a food that somebody's never tasted before and trying to get them to see what it tastes. They're not going to know until they actually eat it and try it. And so my prayer for them is that they'll step out of that legalism, that I can be a light and an example to them, and I can explain it well enough that they'll be willing to step into that freedom. And when they experience that freedom and they taste it, they'll realize that there's so much more to life and faith in their relationship with God than they ever thought before. And that they would be set free. Now, Jesus, we, this, this was brought up uh, in our group. It was, I thought it was so brilliant I hadn't even thought of it before. But Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. There is a yoke. It's not just total freedom. And that's what I've had with somebody that I love greatly. They, they felt the yoke of religion on their shoulders and condemnation and judgment and shame and all those other things that come to it. And their response was to throw the yoke off altogether and say, well, then I don't want, to do, I don't want anything to do with any of this. And they thought that... Complete freedom and just doing whatever they wanted to do and following their heart was going to lead them and was going to set them free. And I'm telling you, they are just as bound up now as they were when they were stuck under legalism and religion. Insecure, all of that. Twisted up. And the answer isn't no yoke. That's a weird word. (laughs) It's not no yoke. It's Jesus, light and easy to carry yoke. It's allowing him to lead us. It's allowing him to steer us. It's allowing him to show us where to go. Not under the weight of shame and guilt and judgment, but in love and freedom and joy. And I just want you to know, first of all, that if you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, you can do that right now. There's nothing you, it's not by your work, so there's nothing that you can do to qualify for it other than being a sinner, and you're already that. And so today, you can believe and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. You can say, I, I have been trying to save myself. I've been trying to figure this all out. been trying to work and be good and do whatever. And I haven't been able to save myself. I keep failing. I keep falling. It feels like things keep getting worse. And I'm trying and I'm failing. And today, I recognize that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sin. And he rose again on the third day. And I'm putting my trust in him for salvation instead of myself. And you can have the weight of that responsibility to lift it off your shoulders right now and receive the righteousness of Christ. And if you're a Christian who has done that, you've been saved by grace, but you've tried to walk in rules and religion and the law. Today, you can take that yoke off your shoulders. It doesn't belong there. And you can take Jesus' yoke upon you, which is light and easy to bear. And you can choose to walk in the freedom that you have, but I would encourage you today to make the choice to turn your heart fully towards God and to choose to honor him in all things in your life, to ask the Spirit to lead you and guide you and show you what's sinful in your life and needs to be rooted out and dealt with, for you to to see how you're supposed to relate to him, how he wants to live out, how he wants you to live out your life in the leadership of the Spirit, and to change your perspective and allow that weight to just come off of your shoulders today. Allow that weight to come off of your shoulders and in freedom to walk with Christ to walk in the grace that you have in Jesus Christ who loved you and who gave himself for you. And we are looking forward to a day, as we're learning to do this and as we're walking, we're looking forward to the day when Jesus Christ is gonna return. He's gonna establish his kingdom here and ultimately is going to set all things right. And we're preparing for that day. We want to become as much like Jesus as we possibly can as we walk in this freedom. So when that day comes, we're ready for it. We're already living the way we're going to live there. So it's an easy transition. So that Jesus will look at everything that's happening in our life and the way that we're walking. And he's going to be pleased by it. He's going to reward that. We don't do any of this for reward, but he has promised that he will reward us for this. And so we're looking forward to that day when he returns. That we can see him with our... Heads held high, our shoulders unburdened, walking in faith and joy and peace the way He created us to. We'll look forward to that day together. And let's pray together. Father, we come to you right now and uh, we want you to know how much we love you with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. Father, we are so thankful that in your, your grace and your kindness, We who are sinners were not cast aside. That you made the way. You made a way for us to come into your family, to be restored, to spend eternity with you. You are so good and you are so loving, so kind that you would do that. That you would willingly send your son to earth to live fully God, fully man. Jesus, we thank you that you were willing to come, to be here, to walk among us, and that you willingly gave yourself in our place on the cross, the final atoning sacrifice. And on the cross, you paid for our sin, put into a tomb, risen on the third day in power and glory, And we know in your resurrection that just as you have life, we too will have life eternal. And so we put our faith in you to be made right before God. Jesus, our faith is in you to be made right before God. We know that we can't work our way there. We can't, there's no effort on our part that we can do. It's by your grace. So we put our faith in you and we trust you. And as we walk, we know that our our relationship with You is not dictated by a list of rules or, or anything like that, but it is led by the Spirit. I pray, God, that in this room, that we as believers would turn our hearts fully towards You. That we've never consciously done that. There might be someone who's never consciously done that before. Maybe we look at our life and we say, yeah, I've done that in part, but I haven't done that fully, and so today I'm going to do it fully. I'm going to turn my heart fully to you, God. Maybe there are things in our lives that are sinful, and we know they're sinful, and we've turned a blind eye to them, or we've Thought that they weren't a big deal, or that maybe we thought that you didn't care, or maybe we thought that you didn't see, or maybe we knew that you saw and that you did care, and we just wanted to do it more. And so, Father, I pray that whatever those things are, that as we turn our hearts towards you, you would make them very clear to us, and that as we turn our heart toward you, that that would be something that would come into submission to your desire for us as well. So that as we walk and as we are transformed and as we're changed, into the image of Christ and the power of the Spirit, that we would be soft, that we would be moldable, that we would be be willing, willing to submit to your will for our life, not because if we don't, we're going to lose our salvation or because if we don't, you're going to punish us or anything like that, but to make these decisions right now because we love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and we want to bring you glory and honor. And so we're choosing to do this. And I pray, God, as those choices are made in our lives, that you do receive honor, that you do receive glory, that you continue to show us and maybe you start working down to finer and finer details in our life so that our life can reflect your life, Christ, so that we can reflect your love, so that we can walk with unburdened shoulders. And the freedom that you've given us. And also walk in the confidence of knowing that we are bringing you honor and glory with our life. And so, Father, all of this we offer to you. This is our commitment to you as we wait, Christ, for your return. We pray, Jesus, that you would return today if it's your will. if It's God's will. And as we wait, we wait well. We wait with faith. We wait with hope. We wait in grace. Encourage us and draw us closer to you and draw us closer with each other as we look forward to that day. It's in your name we pray, amen.